This episode of the All About Nothing podcast is brought to you by GOT Sound Studio. GOT Sound Studio offers a variety of experiences, music, voice, and instrumental recording and production, video, and still photography. GOT Sound Studio has all of your media needs met. Owned and operated by Dominique Stewart, the Neek the Geek, experienced artists as well as up-and-coming will find everything they need to create. Bring your media needs to one of the most talented producers and engineers in the business, Neek the Geek. You can find details by visiting gotsoundstudio.com or calling 803-243-2302. You can also find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina, this is the All About Nothing Podcast. The views expressed on this program are the opinions of the host. Some content and subject matter may not be appropriate. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners are encouraged to follow the show at theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media and more. Listeners can call the show at 803-672-0533. Thank you for listening. All right. Welcome to the All About Nothing podcast. I am Barrett Gruber, and this week my guest is Lisa Ellis. She is the Democratic nominee for South Carolina Superintendent of Education. Welcome, Lisa, to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Barrett. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm sorry we couldn't have uh, Zach and Trent in here with us. Um, We all have children that uh, once you're elected that will have uh, you will have an effect on their on their education. Uh, so it, it's it's a shame they can't be here, but you know, being a, a Tuesday we're recording this. Um, we generally record on Wednesdays, and uh, it's hard to get them in there on those day on Wednesdays too. So, <laughs> so I'm glad you could be here with us. Um, well, I appreciate the flexibility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Lisa, you are running for superintendent of education, and we talked about it real briefly before we started recording. Nowhere on your website does it say anything about being a Democrat. Is there, there's a, there's gotta be a reason for that. Well, I think that, um, this position should be nonpartisan. I really think that, you know, education affects everybody, um, whether or not you have children directly, directly in school, you know, people have grandchildren, they have neighbors that have children in school, but ultimately we as a state are. Um, impacted by the success of public education. And so it shouldn't be a Democratic slant. It shouldn't be a Republican slant. It shouldn't be any sort of third party slant. We all should care about public education. And to me, that transcends, um, you know, political parties. And, And one of the things that we push is that, you know, you've got to take care of people over party. You know, you've got to focus on policy over party and that's what we felt should be the focus is my educational experience my why for wanting to do this and not necessarily my connection to a particular party or not agreed no and i the the least of the qualifications is what party i'm affiliated with agreed (laughs) agreed and qualifications do sort of come into something like this um it Uh, it, this year absolutely yeah. yeah It, it should be noted that Ellen Weaver is still uh, seeking her, her master's, which is uh, actually, it, it's on the books as being one of the requirements is to have a master's. Um, you have two of them. So uh, a master's in arts and organizational leadership from Columbia College, as well as a master of science and forest resource management from Clemson. Um, those 
you know, those are legitimately, those are not easy courses. So congratulations on that. I know it was, I know it was a little while ago, but, uh, but Ellen, well, we it, it was, and, and you know, it, it, I, I loved both programs. I can't begin to share how much I learned through it, not just about the content, but to, but about me as a human and, and me as a, a student, um, you know, which has then transcended into the classroom and I hope will transcend into the role of superintendent of education. You know, there's a lot to be said about going and getting a higher education degree, not so much in terms of the content, but what it teaches you as a person. And, and you know, both of my masters were um, difficult and time consuming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I look at a lot of the the teachers that I know, they they all have masters as well. Now you've been you've been in in education, uh, I guess since t- early two thousands two thousand three two thousand four. Yeah, I just started my twenty second year. Goodness. So I started um, at a high school at Ridgeview High School. is actually a long term sub. Um, in October, a teacher went out on maternity leave, and then they hired me full time that January because of an English position came open. And so I was able to start mid year, um, which is only great in the sense that when I, if I make it to retirement, that I'm eligible to retire mid year. Oh, wow. That. <laughs> what is the, what is the requirement for retirement in South Carolina? Um, uh, for te- well, it depends if you became a teacher prior to 2012, for to, to receive your full retirement benefits, you've got to work to year 28, which is a random number. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where 28 came from. Um, my goal is to make it to 30 because that's a nice even number, 30 years. Um, if you, However, if you started teaching after the year 2012, it's the rule of 90. So your years of service and and you add your years of service to your age and that has to equal 90 to when you can retire which i think has led to just you know we're not even there yet but i think has been an indirect had a a indirect negative impact on our younger teachers like losing our young teachers quickly because that that's so far down you know the the path of the future that they're like oh well i mean that I'm, I'll never make it that long or something like that. Yeah, so. absolutely. That is a, that, that's an, that's an odd mathematical equation that they came up with to, to come other retirement for benefits. And that's, I, I, now I, now I feel bad for a lot of them because they started when they were like 21. So right. 20, 22, right. 23, that's, that's, that is, that is an exceptionally long time to be working. Um, but you know, and 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 I I have to I have to also acknowledge the fact that teaching is not easy. Uh, my it my my wife has a has a bachelor's in early childhood education, um, but we homeschool our children, and one of the reasons that we homeschool our children is uh, when my son was in middle school, uh, we we found that uh, that his school was interrupted so often by bomb threats at, at different schools around the county, around the district that, that it just, it, it got to the point. Well, and then we also had twins. Um, so, so the, the, basically the idea was, well, she, she has a degree in education. So, uh, it kind of makes sense that we would just go ahead and do, uh, the, the homeschooling. Um, and, 
but I still, I, I still am bound and determined to see that education in South Carolina is uh, stands up against at least the states next to us. I grew up in Georgia, and I am the product of public school education. Um, and at the time when I went through school, Georgia was Georgia tended to be a little bit more blue than it is now. Uh, so there was a lot of investment being made into public schools with uh, the introduction of the lottery system and things like that. And South Carolina also has the the Hope Scholarship with the lottery in that. Um, and and so just if if you could explain to me when when you take office, what is the the reign as far as like what is the reach of the superintendent of education? Is it is it just the public K through twelve school system, or does it does it involve more than that? Um, I, I think it, you know, and Barrett, that's a great question that I fully don't know okay, all of sorry. the ins and outs of it. So, um, so not, it, not, it, not to stump know, you then. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it, it went, when I, my campaign manager's like, you need to stop, stop saying if and start saying when. So right. when I make it to office, I think I'm going to learn a lot of things that I was like, oh, I'm responsible for that too, huh? Or no, you're not responsible for that. Um, but it is, it for sure is K through 12 public education. There's also a public charter school um, district that falls under the Department of Ed. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't include higher ed, but I think that there is some sort of maybe sphere of influence okay. in terms of policy that can, can, you know, dictate that. And then, of course, there's going to be other um other probably legislation that is not necessarily under education, but impacts sure. students and children in South Carolina that I guess would probably also be like a sphere of influence um, as well. Um, but it, you know, it is this, the, we've had, we have, I think 79 school districts, um, you know, over 800,000 children are in the public school system. So it, um, it is a daunting job to to have to meet all the various needs of um, not only the students that come in, but the the school districts. You know, we we go anywhere from Greenville County that has I think seventy five thousand students, you know, down to Jasper or Hampton that you know have a couple thousand tops, and you go from urban to rural, and you know that's one of the things that that I think has been um, sort of you know, we talk about the inequity of education across South Carolina, and, and I firmly believe that it shouldn't matter what your zip code is. Every every student should have access to that high quality education. But that's gonna how that how we get that is gonna be different depending on the district that you're in. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that we we for however long have have fought this you know, tried to teach the 21st century student still using really 19th and 20th century ideals and mechanisms. And so I just really want, um, you know, when I'm in office to really start looking um, innovatively and strate strategically as to how we can best, you know, address the needs of our students and, and allowing that to look different. You know, we talk about equality versus equity, um, and I'm all about the equity. Not every school district should get the same thing because the students that they deal with are going to be different. Not every school should get the same thing. They need to get what they need to allow for that equity rather than equality. Sure. 
Sure, and it, it, and it has to be noted, South Carolina several years ago was was recognized as having um, one of the one of the worst school corridors in in the country with the corridor of shame, um, and that that ran basically around around along that I ninety five corridor. Uh, that uh, I I'd, I'd like to assume there've been improvements, but it's not something that I've I've heard much about. Of course, it's dependent on you know the administration that's in charge, but. Um, Growing up, we South Carolina and Georgia, uh, we were always recognized. Even when I was in school, and and which you know we're we're roughly the same age, um, but the uh, the school systems uh, between Georgia and South Carolina, we were always recognized at being close to the bottom then because uh, this this um, uh, idea of of uh, the standardized tests and that was how you were judging the value of a school system um, when. You take office. Uh, how? How? What? What is something that? What? What is your opinion of standardized testing? Um, well, I, I think that that high state standardized testing is terrible. I think it 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 does nothing to demonstrate um, student knowledge or student growth. Um, you know, it it is, and and really, the tests that we give our students tend to be biased. Um, both racially as well as experience um, biased, uh, and and I think you know when people talk about uh, the fact that our uh, our schools are failing or our teachers are failing or our students are failing, I really I take offense to, to that. I would too um, because I would argue that neither our teachers nor our students are failing. The system is failing our our teachers and students, and I think you know I I think that there is a marked um, plan to dismantle public education. And if you look sort of past over the last 15 or 20 years and how South Carolina has dealt with, you know, first it was No Child Left Behind, you know, testing kids, and then it was Every Student Succeeds Act to test kids and the school report card. We, we decided, and by we, I mean not Lisa Ellis, but <laughs> the, the Education Oversight Committee decided that 90% of our school report card at the elementary and middle school level was going to be based on test scores. And so, you know, when you think about, again, the demographics that make up our state and you talk about 30 to 40% of kids are in poverty, that you've automatically set the bar way too high. And I don't mean that in the sense that our kids can't do it, but when we look at um, the, the negative impact of poverty on students, first and foremost, you know, meeting their basic needs, but secondly, meeting the experiences they need to be able to understand the context of a lot of those test questions. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you've got a student who is, you know, you start testing in third grade, so, you know, eight or nine years old, and they've never seen the beach before, or they've never seen a turtle nest or they've never, you know, done that. And there's a question about the beach. They have no frame of context to really be able to answer that question. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where I really feel strongly against high stakes, standardized testing. The second piece of that, and, you know, you talked about it earlier, you know, talking about homeschooling and disruptions because the state report card, you know, the criteria is on high stakes testing. Districts 
have added testing to determine where their students are in preparation for that big, big test. So what you then have is test fatigue mm -hmm. because students are being tested. You know, I know our, our high school sophomores that have to take the um, end of course English exam, they're, they're tested not only just tests within the class or assessments within the class, but they're tested four times throughout the year, what we call benchmarks. And so by the time you get to the actual test that counts, the kids are, are tired of it, like yeah. they're worn out. And then the last piece of it is that, you know, the test questions are terrible in the sense that they test, they're, they're boring, they're irrelevant to the students' lives. And so really it's not a matter of what the student knows, but is the student willing to sit through and, and actually do the test and sort of that grit piece of sitting down and reading through and, and doing the best that they can. And so I think that the high stakes testing, the standardized testing is a terrible way to demonstrate what a student knows and how far they've grown throughout the year. And so, you know, I, I, I think that, and, and with our, you know, the new federal laws, there's a lot of, um, choice in how we assess our students. We don't have to do high stakes testing. You know, we can do student portfolios. We can use, you know, certain, certain tests that measure growth. You test at the beginning of the year, you test at the end. And so, you know, those are things that I think we need to be looking at because the other piece of it is that, you know, students are learning to pass a test rather than learning for the sake of learning and being excited about learning again. And that's what I think we also, you know, make education miserable for students because it's all about testing and not about the process of learning um, and, and, you know, learning for the sake of learning. And, and I just feel really strongly about that. The last thing that I'll say, and you're probably regretting asking this question, the last thing I'll say <laughs> is that the high state tests do not measure the skills that we truly need students to have. And those are things like critical thinking, problem solving, you know, those deductive reasoning, all of those skills that employers really are looking for in the job market, because those tests tend to be, you know, either recall, um, because they're usually set up in multiple choice yeah. or memorization. And so, you know, and, and because we're teaching to a test, teachers don't have the time to dive into those really important skills that will help kids regardless of whether where they end up in their life. And that's what we really should be doing as public school educators is preparing students for life beyond our classroom, beyond the school. Um, and I think that the high stakes testing just completely hinders all of that. Yeah, I would, I would also like to acknowledge that in my 20 years of working as a professional, not in education, but in just uh, in IT jobs and, and, and things like that, customer service, whatever, uh, I don't think I was being tested uh, more than – I don't think I was being tested once a year after I'd gotten the job, and they were paying me. We're not paying students. <laughs> You know, right. what's the right. what's the incentive to, to, to do well on these tests? Well, the, the incentive is that it makes the, the school system look better if they do better. Right. Uh, right. So. And, and, you know, in the last piece of it, particularly for your th three through eighth grade um, test, those teachers and students don't get the results back until either summer or the next fall. Right. And so it doesn't help the teacher in planning, you know, effective instruction because 
it's too late. And so when we think about what assessment is for, assessment is really to test, you know, what the student knows, but also the opportunity for the teacher to take that information and say, oh my gosh, my, my students completely missed decimals. So I need to go back and do that. But when you're not getting scores until two, three, four months later, you're not able to do that. And that student has moved on still not knowing decimals, never, right. you know, necessarily. Right. If so in, in when you take office, what would be the change that you would, you would like to see enacted under your, under your office? If, if, if these standardized tests are not making, they're not preparing for the children and they're not preparing the teenagers for, for, for life after school, um, then, then what changes would you like to see made in order to improve uh, the student's capability? You know, you, speak, you spoke of uh, critical thinking, and, and I'd like to throw observance, the, the ability to, to, to observe and recognize and, and deduce or, or basically to, to, to be able to come up with solutions uh, based on experiences and things like that. But, um, but how, how is that, you know, in your 20-plus years of educating – you have to have ideas on, on what potentially would be the best way of educating a student. Uh, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I have to preface this by saying again, I don't know the specific parameters of what the report card requires, but in an ideal world, you know, you'd really want the student to take ownership of their knowledge and learning. So to me, that looks more like a portfolio of their best work. Um, but more importantly, a reflection on it. And so, you know, that student has, because when we truly learn, it, it's a reflection piece, right? Okay, I just did this problem. Now let me reflect on what, you know, what I liked about it or what I struggled with yeah. and that sort of thing. And so, you know, and, and you'd have to really take some time. And I think this is where teachers could really be um, powerful in creating these types of assessments um, to make them developmentally appropriate, right? Because a reflection on a, of a third grader is going to be very different from an eighth grader from a high school student. Right. Um, but I think some sort of, of portfolio um, that demonstrates the growth of that student, because the other piece of it is, you know, our students come to us at all different levels. And so to expect them to take the same test you know, again, is insanity. And yeah. so, and, and so creating, again, some sort of, of um, you know, best practice document not only helps demonstrate the growth, but shows that student and gives that student the confidence of, oh my gosh, look at all, look at how much I improved over this year. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, the teachers or a group of people could, could grade based on a rubric, you know, what we call, um, you know, and, and determine it that way. I also think what I would really like to see, particularly at the, at the high school level is incorporating some sort of internship, you know, period or some sort of, um, you know, our school has work-based learning where a student can get a credit for having an after-school job. And okay. so, you know, and the, the, and the employer, um, keep, they keep track of the hours that they worked and the employer has to fill out, you know, a progress monitoring is what we call it in school, um, every so often. But I think like if we really want, if, if business is what they keep telling 
tools is, you know, we can teach them the knowledge of the job. We just need to have them coming to us with these skills. And so I think opening up and giving students opportunities to dive into internships and have that count is part of their success. Again, you know, that portfolio looks differently, but that, you know, their best work, that reflection piece, and then maybe some out, outside world, you know, opportunities. Maybe for elementary and middle school, we, we put in some sort of community service opportunity, you know, for them where they can get community service and learn about giving to others. And again, you know, all of that builds into that how to be a decent human being yeah. that it, we really should be teaching in schools along with the content. You know, you, you and I grew up in a time where if we had to do, re, I, I assume that you mentioned that we're similar in age. <laughs> yeah. so we had to do research. We had to go to the library. Like oh, yeah. You had to physically walk to the school library or get your mom and dad to drive you to the public library. You had to look up, you know, we joke about how you started the research project with World Book Encyclopedia because yeah. it was easy. Then you looked at the Britannica because it gave you a little bit more detail. And then if there were books, and then if you really were screwed and had to look at newspapers, you had to look at the microfish, oh, right? Yeah. That was a thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and so we really didn't have access to it. Kids are walking around now with the entire world own their phones. Oh, so yeah. we don't necessarily need to be teaching them content anymore because they they can very quickly access it. What we've got to be teaching them is what to do with the content. Do they believe the content? Is it valid? Is it reliable? Is it true? Um, and yet we're still we're still working in that system of oh well we've got to go to the library to get the world book to get the information. Right. And so you know I think that that you know, along with that, uh, and that's how you can really change, um, you know, your testing. I think even if, even if you still had to do some sort of high stakes one day testing, instead of it being multiple choice, you'd have open ended questions and they could demonstrate their knowledge without, you know, and, and saying, this is what I think. And this is why I think it, yeah. um, you know, the problem is that is that it honestly takes a much longer time to grade, but that's how they score AP exams. So right. you know, it's not like we can't do it. I just think there's lots of different ways to assess students learning and make it real world. I mean, I think, you know, how many times I reflect on my own work in my job and think, well, well, that lesson went terribly. You know, what do I need to do to make it better? Sure. Um, and, you know, we've got to build in those real world skills. And I think you can do it through assessment. And then automatically, if you're looking at authentic assessment, you know, South Carolina, I, I would bet would not be as low in the, the stakes, you know, the, the, um, the rankings, rank yeah. they are because now you're now actually looking at, you know, student performance that is, is fair and reliable. Right. Yeah, I that you know you were talking about having to go to the library to to, to actually pull the data in it or in order to 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 write a paper or things like that. Uh, I we I was lucky enough we we had I don't know how many volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, and and it seemed like <laughs> it seemed like somehow one of my parents was being talked into buying it almost every year. 
Uh, oh wow! Yeah, that was a commitment to your education. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not saying they were not cheap. <laughs> no, that's what I was saying. I was going to say I, I'm. I'm not entirely certain that it didn't. It didn't put us so far in debt now, but the uh, the we we had we had decades of National Geographic, and you know, but these were all reference material that 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 throughout the course of my K through twelve. That this was, uh, th- these were normal, and 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 you're right. Now kids walk around with phones, but I think one of the most concerning thing is is them, the children and and teenagers having to decipher what's real and what isn't real. Um, that is that that to me is I I can't believe that I have friends and neighbors that that have a hard time deciphering the news, whether to believe what they're hearing on the news or not. Uh, that's absolutely absolutely i actually i'm in a, a different position the last two years at blythewood doing student activities which i love but prior to that i taught journalism and media production okay um for three years and we spent the first nine weeks of the school year going through bias media bias like how to learn to trust sources because that was such a i mean has become such a big yeah um you know, thing to understand is that, you know, you can't like, if you listen to this side, you also need to listen to this side to make sure that you're understanding, you know, the perspectives, but we spent, to me, it was so important to make sure kids understood that you can't always believe everything you read or, and you can very rarely believe everything you see on social media. Um, you know, which is where most of them get their information nowadays. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big social media person. I, I struggle with it. Um, but to me, Twitter is, and I hope I don't get sued by Twitter. I hope I'm too small to tell the story about that. But, you know, to have to sit there and, and narrow these big, complex world issues down to what I think is 280 characters now. It right. used to be 140. Right. Just really does a disservice because that's really all that people read. And there's no way you can sit there and, and talk about climate change in 280 characters. Yeah. And, you know, and so it just really, um, you know, and, and, and for me, that's one of the things I love about teaching high school is because I get to have these conversations with students and, you know, really sit there and, and talk to them about issues and, you know, perspectives and stuff like that. And it, it just, it, it's so there's a lot of aha moments that you see, particularly, well, at any age, but really in terms of, of with high school students. And it's just, it's just a great, you know, great opportunity to, to share those. How, why do you believe that? You know, and just ask those questions. Well, yeah. I saw, you know, and I, I joke with my mother because she's 82 and she's like, well, I read on Facebook and I was like, Facebook, mom, Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I feel like my I, I have I, I have uh, I want to say very close relationships that are that are feeding some of the the incorrect information. Not not that it's incorrect, just overly exaggerated. I won't I won't say that it's incorrect. Um, so what is it like campaigning and working full time as a teacher? I, I cannot imagine that there is much free time to sit down on your couch and be interviewed by Barrett on the All About Nothing podcast. This is uh, this is really a treat for us because um, with with everyone that we've interviewed so far uh, throughout this process, uh, throughout this this campaign year, um, 
most of them are are campaigning very small areas. Yours is yours is statewide. That's that's a big deal. What is that like? It is. It is. And I I have um you know, I I told I have a, an amazing campaign team. I mean, yeah. and that that showed up about 2 weeks before the primary and just really prior to that a couple friends who were also teachers and I were trying to do it on our own. And of course, none of us had ever run for office before, and we didn't know what we were doing. And and so the campaign team has has come in and just really um, been awesome. But I, you know, it was really a conversation about wait, what do you mean you're not taking a leave of absence from work? And <laughs> I was like, that, that's not even an option. Like I have bills to pay. Yeah. How do people, you know? And and so that has been really, I think. Um, tough for them to navigate and tough for people to understand Yeah, because it, it is not, you know, teaching it is its own beast where you really have to be tuned in to what's going on in front of you at all moments of the day. I mean, you're, you know, you're directly responsible for the well-being of, of students, no, regardless of, you know, what age they are. And so, you know, from, I, I tell, you know, I'm, I'm, I say my hours are eight to four fifteen. I have yet to make it home, you know, at that time because it's the start of school year and it's so crazy. Yeah. But I cannot answer anything, you know, at that time. And and so I think it has been difficult, um, particularly for the press to understand that that I'm unavailable for, you know, luncheon groups that want me to come and speak at oh, um, yeah. time and I'm unavailable. Um, those are sort of things. And I, you know, honestly, I think it speaks to one of the problems in South Carolina is that we don't necessarily have the, the best people running for office because they can't afford to, or, you know, their job doesn't allow them the, the freedom and flexibility to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how you fix that, but it definitely, I'll be honest with you though. I, I have really enjoyed, um, being at school because it allows my mind to turn off sure. the campaign and the politics and the stuff like that because you know at the end of the day it is politics I am a I am not a politician I'm 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 just not like I, I think that people my my honesty or my transparency either people love it or they're like oh my gosh I can't believe she said that out loud because it's you know it, it's those sort of things and I, I guess your typical politicians try to hedge on either side. Um, but it, it, it is nice to go. And, and it's also really been good for me to be around my students to, to remind me of why I'm doing this. I didn't, I had no plans to run for superintendent of education. I actually spent two years trying to get other people to run, um, run for the office and they all said no. Um, so it was a very last minute decision for me to do it. And I, I joke that um, I joke with my principal that that if when I am elected, that I'm going to have to keep a key to the the school because I'm going <laughs> to need to sneak in and just be around students, yeah, um, just to get their energy and and insight and all of that because I just um, adults are tough to work with, and oh. that's what I realized. 
what I'm going to be doing a lot of. <laughs> I, you would be surprised by so we, we did a we did a podcast interview with someone else that had that has their own podcast, and that was one of the questions that they asked was what was what was one of the things about becoming an adult that that you had to get used to, and I said honestly, dealing with other adults. I said because. <laughs> Because, you know, there's a, there's a precedent when it comes to teenagers and children and things like that. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a level of inequality when it comes to, you know, my vocabulary versus theirs or, you know. Uh, but, like, I, I, that was honestly – that ha- COVID was one of those situations, at least I benefited from, that it, it gave me the opportunity to, to, while I still work with people, I don't have to work directly with them or within view of them. <laughs> That sort of thing. So, but, but yeah, I completely understand. Uh, and, and I, I, I think that the idea of a superintendent of education for a state still, you know, putting them at least, uh, recognizing that, that the, the level that, that you're, you're, you're basically in office to support is the students. And, yeah. and the idea of going and, and, you know, even if, even if you're doing it incognito, you know, is it, it's it's your observe you can you would have the ability to observe and I know it sounds like a joke but I I fully support you doing it you know just oh, security no, wise it's good yeah I'll, I'll absolutely have to do it otherwise I'll lose my mind you know we talk about people are like how can you work with teenagers and and all that and I love teenagers but you know children you get frustrated with them sure. but you realize that they're learning right I mean. You know, if we talk about the fact that you don't have a fully formed brain until you're 25 and you understand the development stages of children, like when they make a mistake, it's because they're learning. Like, I, And so it's so much easier to forgive children in, in that aspect. Adults, I just think you should know better. You're an adult. Like, you you know, yeah. you should know better yeah. and you should stop acting, you know, however way you're acting. And so I will definitely have to be sneaking back in. And I think also, you know, that's one of the things that I I think that, you know, when you start moving, when you're still in education, but you start moving out of direct contact with students. So you move up to a district office or you move to the state department of ed, or you, you know, move to the general assembly or wherever you go, you, you forget, right. You forget what it's like. And, you know, we talk, I always said, um, you know, if you haven't taught, it used to be if you haven't taught since cell phones were a thing, like you don't know what it's like to be a teacher. Then it became, if you haven't taught since smartphones were a thing, you don't know what it's like to be a teacher. And then it was, if you don't, if you haven't taught since streaming media and Disney plus was a thing, you know, you don't know what it's like. And then the latest one is if you haven't taught through COVID, you have no idea what it's like to be in the classroom teaching. And I think, you know, when you get the further away, but yet you're still making policy, you, you forget what it's like. And you, and so to me, part of, (coughs) excuse me, part of making policy is reminding yourselves of who that policy is, is intended for. And so we talk about, you know, when, when we're making third grade state, education standards those people that are on that committee need to be either current third grade teachers or they need to be going into third grade classrooms to remember what that development stage was like you know same thing with with high school because it just 
And so that's why, you know, I'm hoping that there'll be schools that are like, hey, here's a key here, come in anytime and just let me sneak in the back door because I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to need to be around students. I, I, I love students. I love teaching. I love to be around them because they're also going to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we need. And they know, um, you know, they they want a high quality education and, and they, and especially high school students can articulate why they don't necessarily think they're getting it. And we need to bring, you know, we need definitely need to bring the teacher voice to the table and all this policy, but we also need to bring the student voice. Yeah. Um, one of my dear, dear friends, her daughter is a fourth grader, fourth or fifth grader. And she, um, she told me that when I got elected, that she was going to start a petition to get rid of high stakes testing. And I told her, I was like, you don't need to start a petition. And she's like, well, I've got a letter written. And I was like, that's awesome. But she had all these reasons of why we shouldn't be doing these tests. And so when a fourth or fifth grader recognizes that, yeah. we need to make some changes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I think that, uh, there is a lot of value in the opinions of those that are being learned, learned, you know, that they're the, the students. Um, one of the, not just Ellen Weaver, who you're running against, um, but being that you are an educator, you have experience in education and being a teacher, having, having two master's degrees, um, you are also uh, really campaigning against issues that, that are non-issues. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that I have recognized in South Carolina, having, you know, grown up 20 years ago and 20, 25 years ago in school, is this idea that there is uh, a, a course of education that's being taught that is the, the idea of is, it, is to make people feel bad for things that have occurred in the past. And, and I'm referring to critical race theory, which uh, ultimately... South Carolina does not teach in K through 12 and, 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 and really it's not, it's not really something that's taught as, as unless you're in university and then they don't even call it critical race theory. It's, it's us, it's us history and world history. Um, but how, how do you, how do you contend or how do you, how do you fight that misinformation? Do, do I mean, have you had experience recently in campaigning where someone has come up to you and said, you know, I'm against this critical race theory. Is that, is that something you've had well, to hear I, from? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that, you know, has been a, a topic. It, because really, when I go out and campaign, I'm not somebody who likes to talk about myself at all. And so I usually do a quick introduction and then say, hey, what questions do you have for me? Like, what are you interested in knowing about in terms of education policy or what my stance is? And so usually that's how these things go. Um, and so, you know, almost every place I have been has asked the question, what are your thoughts on CRT? And I always respond with, what is your definition of it? Because that's the other piece of it. When we talk about, you know, you mentioned the fact that these issues that are non-issues, that is one of them. And, you know, I go back to say the number one issue in public education in South Carolina today is the lack of teachers. Full stop. Yeah. I mean, you can really even say also the lack of bus drivers and the lack of instructional. But but those those people who directly interact with students every day, there's a shortage of all of them. And until we solve that problem, 
nothing else matters because that's how you get the high quality education to the student. So these issues like CRT or indoctrination or, you know, books that need to be banned, those are all um, what I call ghosts. You know, we're chasing ghosts. We're, we're changing it so we don't focus on what is actually the problem for two reasons. Number one, while the teacher shortage, I think, is simple to fix, it does take funding and it does take, take a, a paradigm shift in what teachers do. And that, that can be difficult for some people. But the other piece is, again, that narrative to dis dismantle public education. And how do you do that? Well, you underfund it, which is what South Carolina has successfully done for decades. And then you, you create this narrative of distrust, right? Oh, we can't trust our teachers. We can't trust our public schools. And that's how you, you're able to dismantle it, right? So that's exactly what CRT is. That's exactly what you know, indoctrination is. That's exactly what banning books is and, and questioning you know, how, how students are getting their information. And we have to be aware of that. What I have learned about the CRT question is everybody has a different definition of what it is. And so when, when I ask specifically, what do you think it is? then that dictates how I answer. Sure. Um, and, and, but here's what I will say as a blanket statement about what and how we teach. Students deserve the truth. Mm -hmm. They deserve to, to, to understand all of the perspectives. And I'm you know, specifically talking about history and, and English at this point. Um, they deserve to understand all of the facets of our history because it, it, you know, I think about again my own education, and it was very whitewashed. You know, I, I, I mean, it, you know, you, you always heard history from the victors, right? And so these students now, and and that did, like, I've had to do a lot of unlearning in my adulthood. Um, but we deserve these students deserve to have all of the perspectives, and then you know, building in that, those, those soft skills in terms of critical thinking and problem solving and understanding the different perspectives and how that impacts the world we live in. The second piece of that is these students deserve to have access to the diverse community that in particularly makes up not only South Carolina, but the United States and even bigger, the, the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, Again, agreed. when we talk about when we talk about how education has changed, you know, education really in the 20th century and 19th century and going back was a very local experience because people didn't move, right? They they grew up in the town that they lived in, they stayed in that town, they got married in that town and and died and and we don't we live in a global world, right? right. You know, we have military families that are traveling from all parts of the world that are coming into our schools. We have students that are coming from all different co countries. We have students that are coming from different areas of the state and they're all interacting with each other. And we've got to teach them how great this world, this diverse world is. And also the fact that when you get right down to it, we're not all that different. And that's what makes relationships beautiful. And here's the last thing I'll say about it. These kids don't care. Right. You know, they, they've grown up post-integration. They've, you know, grown up in, um, you know, a, a post-world where, you know, where being different is 
acceptable and awesome. And I value you for you as a person. You value me for as a person. It doesn't matter what you know color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter you know who you love. But we all respect each other. And so these issues, these ghosts that I, they're adult problems. They're adult problems. And if adults would just get out of the way you know, and let this future and let these future students, you know, be who they are and, and do all of that, this world would be such a better place. It's, it's not, you know, I, I walk around, I listen to all the anti LGBTQ plus rhetoric. I listen to all the, you know, the race rhetoric and it's so negative. And I walk into a high school that I work in that is so diverse and see you know, just the kids interacting with each other and, you know, fist bumping and hugging and yeah. Yeah. Hugging appropriately. And it just fills my heart with such hope. Um, and, and again, you know, I think that's one of the advantages of being able to see the impact um, of, of who you're serving. But, but all of those issues, those are made up adult issues that don't even exist and are and are not a thing they're talking they're they're just talking points and 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 i my opinion on on all of it whether it's crt or banning books censorship that sort of thing my opinion on all of that is basically you're trying to fill the hour of your newscast and it's you're 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 trying to find things that will scare people uh i remember ap u.s history and ap world history and i had i had exceptional teachers that were also coaches. We, we talked about coaching before, um, but they were, they were the baseball coaches. And I, even looking back on my education from, you know, the nineties, I, I still, in my head, I still remember there being a cutoff between, you know, as soon as reconstruction started and world war one. I. I mean, there was, there was just an immense gap of information and and I I have to attribute that partly because I I grew up in Atlanta, where the Jim Crow era and and re, and post Reconstruction were were something that they wanted to forget, uh, and 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 you know it's not like you said it's it's making sure that students have access to the truth rather than than this idea that they have to we we have to indoctrinate them or groom them or or or, or limit their experiences. Uh, is is just it's it's frightening to me because I think that that once you start doing that, then that leads to other things where you can fill in that those gaps of information with bad information, and then you've then you've created a, an army. Um, so uh, uh, no, uh, you're absolutely right. You're and and uh, you know I keep going back to the fact that the kids deserve better, and also the fact that teachers, you know, we as teachers are trained on how to deliver the information and how to build, you know, one of the, the things that most teachers do at the beginning of the school year is, is create warm, safe classrooms. Like we, you know, I, I don't even really get into content until the third week. Cause I'm too busy, you know, getting, building that class community and building those relationships. So then we can, we can have the tough conversations, right? And so teachers know how to deliver this information and they know how to do it um, in a safe space so students don't feel marginalized or feel guilt or, or whatever. Again, all of that is made up um, and, and really not even made up by um, 
you know, actual parents, but again, the, the news feed um, that's coming through whatever they're, they're watching or listening to. Um, and again, it goes back to, you know, one of the reasons that teachers are leaving is, is the nature of distrust and teachers are like, it's not worth it. Like, this is not worth it to me yeah. to, you know, be attacked at every end for things that are, that are made up, you know? And so I, I think that's the missing piece is that teachers know and develop how to get this, this content across in a way that is effective. And yeah. we, you know, we need to change that narrative back of, no, you really can trust your teachers because they do want the best for your children. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, we have a few more minutes. Uh, what, what is it that you want to make sure that at least my audience knows about your campaign? What is it? What is the, what is the driving force behind you becoming a candidate? Um, the driving force for me to become a candidate was to really make effective change quickly. <laughs> I, no, I joke that my goal is to get elected, serve four years, solve all the problems and go back to the classroom. That, that's my, that's my plan. Um, and, and I think that, you know, people need to understand that, that every decision that I make will be in the best interest of the students of South Carolina. And that, you know, that is going to drive every decision, every, you know, you know, influence, all of that is what is in the best interest of students in South Carolina. And that's going to ultimately step on some toes. I mean, we've got some, you know, dug in status quos that, that, you know, need to, to be either moved out or rethought and because it's not in the best interest of students. And so, you know, that's really what I'm, I'm doing um, or what I hope to do. And I keep coming back to, you know, the teacher shortage because that is like, you know, solving that issue is in the best interest of, of students. So that's the driving force behind it um, is really focused on what do our students in South Carolina need right now and also what do they need you know when they graduate and go either you know into the military or into um, the workforce or into college i want them to be prepared for that step and be successful and so that's the focus of it um you know i, I think that it, people have got to start really paying attention to the person over the party. And, and I, you know, I tell people that they also have, like if education is important to them and it should be important to every student, every citizen in South Carolina, again, because we all have to interact with each other. Right. And so you're going to ultimately, you know, I tell my students, I'm like, my goal is to, to get you to a point where you can be successful because you're going to be taking care of me when I'm in the nursing home. And I need people <laughs> who are smart, and problem solvers and good communicators to take care of me when I'm in the nursing home. And we've got to look at education as that, that pillar of society, right? It is, it is what helps create a well-functioning society. And we all have a stake in how that's run. And so you really have to stop. You have to be willing to look past party politics and right. really focus on um, you know, who's running and, and why they're running and what their platform is. And instead of just, you know, pulling a straight ticket or sticking to one party or another. And I think also not only in the race for superintendent, but you've also got to look at the other races. 
you know, the, the governor race is up and there, there are two candidates that feel very differently about public education. Yeah. I tell the teachers that I meet, I'm like, my job would be a whole lot easier if you put pro public education governor in and you put pro public education house members in. Right. Right. Because that's who's developing a lot of the policy and driving the policy that affects you in the classroom. And then, of course, school boards. And so, you know, we really have got to not only recognize, you know, that our education system is not working as it currently is and we need to do differently. But we've also got to put into office people who are willing to do look at it differently. One of the uh, the things that that I have to also acknowledge is that we're, we're almost always right around the corner from the next covid Um I mean, with with the with the way the climate's changing and things like that, we're pushing, uh, we're we're pushing the the line as as far as to what what's going to wind up, you know, halting education or business and things like that. Um, as far as uh, South Carolina goes, how how do you think South Carolina did when it came to uh, education as far as COVID response from the aspect of a teacher perspective? Yeah, I th- I think that South Carolina is a policy entity um, didn't do well at all. (laughs) I I think that teachers and and students did the best that they could. You know, we we talk about um, the fact that, you know, the school building closed on Friday, March the 3rd, or, you know, the last day that students and teachers were in session was Friday, March 13th, 2020. And government master did the emergency, you know, and so really at our school, we had two days before we started seeing students again online. So we had two days to really shift everything um, to these new platforms. And, you know, I get, again, I get really offended when people say, oh, you know, during COVID when schools closed, because schools didn't close. Right. The school building did. Um, But even then, the school building opened back up because schools have become such a... um, you know, panacea for food, right? right. We have families, exactly. we have families that, that get breakfast and lunch. And so the school buildings quickly opened up to, to serve families food, but, but teachers and students learning was still happening right now. It looked different than it did when you and I were coming along. And so I think that was hard for people. And I think it, you know, originally it really demonstrated how, awesome teachers are. And then, you know, that narrative had to be changed, right? Because we're trying to dismantle public education. And then it became political. You know, it it, wearing masks became a political thing. Getting vaccinated became a political thing. Getting students back in schools became a political thing. Um, And, you know, we as teachers were hesitant about going back to the school building not because we didn't want to see our students, but because we knew because of the funding issue that we couldn't trust that our school districts were going to take care of us and our students. Right. And that's where, you know, that's where things got really um, dicey because, because of the way the teachers have been treated over the last decade, you know, we as a system, again, have lost faith that people are taking care of our teachers and students. And, you know, and I talk about, the, the dividers that I was supposed to have in my classroom were made of cardboard and were so short that a high school student sitting at the desk 
like their head was over the cardboard, you yeah. know, and that, I mean, those were created for elementary school students, but it's what was given to us at our high school. And so, you know, that's where we as teachers, we have lost the ability to trust, you know, the, those decision makers to, to do what is best for teachers and students. And so, you know, I, I think that, and then of course you had, again, going back to the equity piece of funding, you know, I work in a district that, that has a, a lot of money because we get the local funds because we live in Columbia. But, you know, you're talking about your rural area. And so we have we already had access to computers. Right. But you're talking about your rural, you know, that aren't one to one, that everybody doesn't have access or didn't have access to Wi-Fi. And so all of those infrastructure pieces that the state has neglected for however many years, you know, we've talked about roads. We haven't, but you know, you talk about yeah. the roads in South Carolina, but the lack of of, of internet is yep. a, is now an infrastructure piece. You know, it it really brought out the inequities across the state in terms of education. Right. Teachers and students did the best that they could with what they were given, and yet they were blamed for all of the as COVID dragged on. They were blamed for all of these things that are out of their control which is what we've seen, which is why the teachers are leaving because they're like, I can't control a kid in poverty. Like I have no control over that or I can't have no, which they do because they can vote, right? Vote right. people in, they're going to do it. But, you know, I'm being blamed for things that are out of my control. And again, it's not worth my own happiness in life to continue to put up with that. Yeah, no, I, I so, totally, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, South Carolina, has such potential to support because I, there there's so much room to grow that that South Carolina could be the pilot program for just a, a widespread you know internet service free to students you know there's there, there's so much potential here in South Carolina and I really you know this is this is where I live I've been here for more than 20 years and 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 I want to see it do well um, and and I think part of that is having leadership that has experience in the necessary functions in order to provide the best perspective on how to make change positive. Uh, and, and absolutely, you know, I, I I tell people I'm like I think South Carolina is one of the best like the best places to live. Just in terms of we have the beach, we have the mountains, we have you know the, the rivers, we have all you know we have a wonderful. Um, Southern hospitality community, we could be number one on every great ranking and number 50 on every bad ranking, yeah. but we've got to, we've got to make policy that is best is what is in, again, I go back to, you know, policy over or people over party, you know, yeah. you've got to make policy decisions that are forward thinking you know, that are taking into account all of the demographics of South Carolina and be willing to, to be innovative. And, and, you know, I don't, we, I don't feel we've had leadership that has demonstrated that in, I mean, however long, but I just, you know, I feel like there's such great opportunity here. There's such great promise for the state of South Carolina, but we've got to, we've got to do better in terms of how we govern. Yeah, no, totally agree. Well, let, let's get you elected. Let's get you elected, <laughs> because I, I ultimately, I, 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 I think that that this, that you in office uh, as superintendent of education, I think that this would, this would push us in the right direction as far as because 
right now you, you have to, and I've said this before, but South Carolina's only resource that besides tourism, I guess, uh, is, is people is the students. Uh, and, and in order to get regardless of, of what you think of the school, your your kid is going to, you know, in order to to give that child the best outlook as possible, it, all all students need to be uh, included, and and I, I I feel like based on everything we've talked about that your 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 approach is going to be that is that every student every student is equal hey, every student is, is important so up. we got to get you elected all right so so this is <laughs> well, thank you this is this is where I do the push uh, the website is lisa for scom uh, you can go out there, you check out Lisa's platform. Uh, you can also uh, find links to be able to donate. And regardless of whether you live in South Carolina or not, I know we've got listeners across the country. Check it out. Uh, you, you can you can make donations because that those donations go to uh, paying for more signs to be distributed, for bumper stickers and postcards and things like mailers. All, all of the important things that, that, that you, you look at in your mail and you get annoyed at, but they're important. And, uh, and, and they're expensive. I never realized how expensive yeah. all that stuff was. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that. That's I, I am. I I have considered running for uh, uh, state house, uh, but uh, I, I don't. You need to. I haven't talked myself into it yet. I, a couple years. <laughs> In a couple had I known had I known the guy that that, that was running. Uh, that has, had I known the guy that represents my district now. Um, basically, the only reason he's run is because. He has his own uh, political uh, group, uh, like campaign management group. So that's neither he 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 and I don't get along. He stopped by the house a couple times, so uh, that's all I'll say. But uh, you can check Lisa's website again, LisaForSC.com. Links to all the information, uh, platform, uh, also upcoming events and things like that. Uh, Lisa, it was a pleasure. I'm really glad that uh, that we could make the time and, and have you on the on the podcast this week um, because I think that it's important to to make sure to to get your message out there. So, um, well, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation so much. Yeah, absolutely, and and hopefully uh, at, at some point here in the near future, maybe if uh, well, not before the election, I guess, because things are definitely not going to calm down. But we'd love to get you in the studio so that you can cut up with Zach and Trent as well. So. They're, they're, Absolutely, they're, I would love that. They're a good. They're they're a good time. The keg stands are outstanding. They no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> thank you, Nick the Geek, engineer and producer, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. Check out details on how you can utilize his talent and production expertise at gotsoundstudio.com. Thanks to Muffa Producer. Follow him on Instagram at Muffa Producer. Thanks to Shiana Rivers for the intro and outro. Follow her podcast, Who You Call in Holistic, available on most of your podcast listening platforms. Thanks to Trent Clark, aka DJ Lonzo, currently serving as the house DJ at the main course in Columbia, South Carolina. Make sure to go by and have a good time. You can contact Trent for all your entertainment needs, Trent at theallaboutnothing.com and on Instagram at TheRealDJLonzo, on Twitter at DJLonzoTop5. You can also phone him, 803-262-7982. If you enjoy the show, consider becoming a patron by visiting our website and clicking at the link at the top of the browser that will take you to our Patreon page. You can find details on how you can become a supporter or you can check out benefits there and just consider a donation so that we can continue to bring you this nonsense. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy you enjoying it. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, just search for All About Nothing US on Twitter and Instagram at AAN underscore pod, or you can find links to all of our social media and available 
Apple Podcast platforms by visiting theallaboutnothing.com. If you'd like to be heard on the show, you may call and leave us a message, 803-672-0533. If the time between these episodes is too far apart, you can fill that time by checking out some of our partner podcasts. Zach and I host What the Pod Was That with Carrie Simmons. Visit whatthepodwasat.com for links and details. Carrie and Chrissy host Status Macabre. You can find details at statusmacabre.com. Ami Bland takes a deep dive down the rabbit hole in episodes of Welcome to Wonderland available on all of your podcast listening platforms. As well, you should check out our own DJ Lonzo's Top 5, hosted by Trent Clark, available on most of your podcast listening platforms. Lisa Ellis, thank you very much again for being on the show. Uh, if if there's ever anything that we can do for you, then please, you know, just have your campaign contact. <laughs> Does that seem weird? Does that seem weird saying I'll have it the does. campaign? Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> All right, Lisa, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, we will check in with you again, I hope, very soon. And uh, we continue to, uh, we'll hope for uh, success in your campaign and look for your election come November. Fantastic. Thank you. Take care. You too. This The All About Nothing podcast is recorded live from the Maddie Johnson podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. The All About Nothing podcast is produced and engineered by Neek the Geek, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. To support the show, please visit theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media, merchandise and more. Become a patron of the show by following the Patreon link at the top of our page. The All About Nothing podcast is an entertainment product of Barrett Gruber. Special thanks to Zach King, Trent Clark, Muff the Producer, Neek the Geek, and you, our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you're on YouTube, please hit the like button and the notification bell. Thank you for listening. All right, Nothingers, I want to cue you in about a friend of the pod, Blank Canvas Brand. If you own a business or restaurant and the time has come to build that unique brand, you have got to get a hold of Blank Canvas Brand. Blank Canvas Brand specializes in brand identity, including logos, business cards, flyers, and anything else to promote your business. And now, Blank Canvas Brand offers printing services to help with your clothing needs, including sports teams. I can tell you from our own experience, Blank Canvas Brand is responsible for our logo, as well as the Bowl of Duty Bowling Team logo, and we couldn't be happier with what's been produced. For more information, you can search Facebook for Blank Canvas, or you can email Blank Canvas at theallaboutnothing.com. That's B-L-N-K-C-A-N-V-S at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to mention one of our new sponsors, ThePaintedMoment.com. That's ThePaintedMoment.com. Check this out. Have you ever taken a photo with your phone or digital camera that would look amazing as a watercolor canvas painting? Well, now there's a website ready to take your photo and turn it into digital painted moments. This is how it works. Visit ThePaintedMoment.com, follow the instructions, and your digital photo will be enhanced and returned to you with links on where you can have an image printed to canvas or whatever else you'd like to do with it. We've already got a couple of these enhanced photos hanging around the house, and trust me, you'll love what comes out. ThePaintedMoment.com. Create a painted moment in time from your digital photos. ThePaintedMoment.com. Seriously, check them out today. ThePaintedMoment.com. What is a vaccine? What is a virus? What is a mask? What's a Sasquatch? These are all valid questions, and to answer them in one breath, prevention, potentially deadly, potentially life-saving, and don't be stupid. Look, the coronavirus from 2019 has caused a global pandemic that continues to ravage our planet, leaving victims and survivors. But you can do your part. In the United States, as well as most countries around the world, the COVID-19 vaccine is available at little to no cost. Regardless of your politics, this virus has the potential to cause irreparable harm to you and vulnerable family members and friends. 
We have an opportunity through the efforts of medical science to balance the scales against this disease and its variants. And look, I don't understand how the vaccine works, even though I've heard it described countless times by countless experts. And even though none of that makes any sense to me, I do recognize that the money and effort spent on the vaccine has not been wasted. And it's not a global positioning transmitter being embedded in your arm. You're holding that in your hand, listening to this. So get the vaccine. Protect yourself. Protect your loved ones. Hell, protect the guy standing behind you waiting on his Taco Supreme and nacho fries. Let that be the reason his organs shut down. For more information, visit covid19.nih.gov for actual science information. We have to thank our sponsor, GOT Sound Studio, and its owner and operator, Dominique Stewart, better known as Neek the Geek. GOT Sound Studios offers a variety of recording experiences from music, voice, and instrumental recordings and production, as well as podcasts. GOT Sound Studio is located in Columbia, South Carolina, and operated by the most talented producer and engineer in the business. GOT Sound Studio is a black-owned business. Bring your recording business needs here. You can find details on their Facebook page or by calling 803 803- 243-2302 or emailing gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com. That's gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the friends of the pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Hello out there in podcast world. I am the dad who dabs. My name is The Diligent Dabber. I am a cannabis enthusiast, patient, product reviewer, and I also make educational videos on YouTube. I have always promoted individual empowerment when it comes to people's experiences with cannabis. My show is a mixture of cannabis news, dad life, industry insider knowledge, and of course, dabs. Join me as I traverse the intricacies of life, the universe, and everything on The Dad Who Dabs. Find it on Spotify with a bonus video version available on YouTube. The All About Nothing podcast is a part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Bear Gruber Entertainment and Media.